From Carr, Riggs, and Ingram Capital Advisors, this is Sellability, the podcast focused on helping business owners prepare, position, and sell their business for maximum value. Welcome to the second episode of Sellability, helping business owners prepare, position, sell for maximum value. This is Paul Evans. I'm joined by Joel Sykes and Brandon Maddox. Today is the first of several episodes on the various types of transaction possibilities. And today we'll be focusing on private equity, how they tend to operate, and and what a deal may look like. So, Joel, we'll start out with the question of, of really what is private equity and then what types of deals do they tend to look for and do? Right. So that's a great question and a great place to start. So private equity groups are basically pools of funds that are managed by professional investment managers. And the funds usually come from institutions such as insurance companies or um, university endowment funds, uh, public retirement funds like um, teachers, pension plans, or state workers, uh, retirement or pension funds. Some of those funds are put into what's really called an alternative investment class, which is where private equity comes into play, where these investment professionals pull these funds together and make investments often in private companies, but they do sometimes also make a private investment in public companies as well. So think of it as just an aggregation of high net worth individuals and large organizations or institutions that want to invest a portion of their money in in companies, often in smaller companies. When it comes to the different kinds of options that private equity presents to potential sellers, potential business owners who who may be potential sellers, there are several different routes that that it can go. private equity group can buy a majority of the company and uh, obviously leave ownership and management in place to continue to run the company. That's probably their favorite way to to acquire a company is to make a majority acquisition. There's also a minority purchase. Uh, Some groups specifically state that they seek to hold a 10 or a 20 or 30 percent interest in a company, a non-controlling interest. Um, and still allow the company to move forward really under the under the same ownership. There are several other types of transactions, uh, such as mezzanine financing and distressed company funding. We don't really get a lot into that lane very often, but there are quite a few options for private equity groups, and uh, it presents quite a few options for, for sellers as well. As you mentioned, a lot of the time they're really looking for that majority. And so, Brandon, when you're working on a deal, you get to see up close and personal a lot of the deals that are being done here and the percentages that the majority of private equity really try to pursue. And then how long do they tend to hold it? You know, what percentage they look for and how long do they tend to hold a company after uh, they put equity in? Yeah, great question. And, you know, one thing I'll say about private equity is they are very interested in reducing risk overall. So there's, you know, as they're doing diligence and you know learning about the company, they're looking for all of those risk points. One way that they 
take risk um, out of the deal somewhat is by owning a majority of a company. Um, and as Joel mentioned, that's not always the case, but um, typically they're going to want to have a majority. And it's not just a majority, but it's a meaningful majority. So I would say think 60 percent and up of ownership that they're going to look to hold in a company that they're investing in. And that's really, you know, to actually have the majority, but then kind of an optics piece as well. Uh, so that any other shareholders who remain know that, you know, the private equity group is absolutely the majority shareholder. So 60%, 75%, something in that range is, is pretty typical. As far as a hold period goes, private equity, when they make an investment, um, there again, typically it's going to be in that five to seven year period under which they're going to execute on a strategy. So they may have a particular industry that they're looking at or a particular particular geography that they're looking at. And they're going to take that period of time to build a portfolio and along the way, maximize value, maximize returns and earnings on that portfolio. And that typically takes five to seven years. And at the end of that, they're going to sell the entire portfolio, whatever they've been able to roll up, however many companies they've been able to put together, they're going to take and then sell that typically to a larger private equity group on up the chain. You know, sometimes with these types of deals, owners get, get a little bit nervous because they've exercise control their whole time. They've run the company and they are terrified that somebody else is going to come in and tell them what to do. And suddenly they've gone from being an owner and operator to being an employee. But, you know, a lot of times we see that that's not necessarily the case. So Joel, when, when an owner says, look, I, I'm not going to sell a majority because I don't want to give up control. What are some reasons that maybe they shouldn't be quite as concerned about that as they think? It's, it's not uncommon for us to encounter owners who have built that company from the ground up. They've been their own boss for 20 or 30 or 40 years, and the idea of suddenly having a boss uh, doesn't appeal to them. You know, I would say that um, part of what private equity brings to the table is a very cooperative spirit. Now, every private equity group is going to have its own personality, and that's part of our role as advisors to help our clients find the right partnership to move forward or find the right investor or the right private equity group to come alongside if private equity actually is the solution for them. But, um, you know, I really think what we have seen for the most part is private equity groups very, very eager not to disrupt the operations of the business, but to enhance the operations of the business. So part of the reason a company is often attractive to a private equity acquirer is that it's performing well. And so why would they come in with a heavy hand and sort of step on the existing owner and management team and kind of break that cycle of success? What private equity seeks to do is bring additional capital additional connections, additional business insight and capability to an already good formula. Um, so it's, it's fairly rare that we get feedback from our client that, you know, hey, you, you matched me with a group that really I can hardly breathe here. You know, they're just all in my stuff and they're not letting me do what we know is best for the company. More often what we hear is on the positive side, and that is, you know, I never could have 
opened operations in that new state if it weren't for their funding and if it weren't for their expertise in helping me enter into that new market. We even had one client a few years ago that called me three or four months after he had sold his company to a fairly large private equity group, a multi-billion dollar group. And um, he called and he said, hey, Joel, I'm just I'm a little nervous. I really haven't heard a lot from these guys. And uh, I said, well, are you are you hitting your numbers? And he said, oh, yeah, we're having a great year, just finished a great quarter. And I said, well, you know, that that's because you're doing well and they don't want to get you off your stride. They want you to do what you do. Uh, and just a couple of months after that, the same owner called me and said, hey, we we saw a market opportunity that was going to cost several million dollars to, to capitalize on. And he called his contact there, his primary contact with the group that had acquired a majority of his company. And they got to work. They funded that opportunity and uh, they were off to the races yet again at the next level. So not only was he not annoyed by their presence and were they not intrusive in his business, but at the right time, they really stepped up to help him seize on a growth opportunity. And I guess a second sort of piece of this is even if you go with a minority transaction, if you only sell 20 or 30% of your company, maybe to take a few chips off the table, oftentimes those agreements have provisions in them that while you may still own a majority of the stock, some of the same limitations are, are in place. So there are, it's just going to be difficult to avoid, for example, um, a threshold on disposition of assets. So when you bring a private equity group in as a partner, they're not going to want you to sell the manufacturing plant or sell the intellectual property of the company without them having a say in it. And those are some common sense uh, safety valves that they put in place. But for the most part, we see clients very satisfied with the way private equity groups behave and it, it does become a true partnership for growth and not a hindrance to the operations of the business. Brendan, let's take that example a little bit further, because as Joel was mentioning that that this previous owner was able to go and, and make a request about expansion, how does private equity provide capital for scale? And, and then at the end of the road, once they hit that five to seven year runway, uh, it's often called the second bite of the apple. What are some possibilities of, of what that could look like? Yeah, that's great. And, you know, the the, that dynamic that private equity has of having that follow on capital, that follow on appetite really to to continue to invest in a company is something that a lot of people don't, um, you know, either know or think about or realize, um, you know, so obviously there's that initial investment uh, in the company, you know, when the, when that transaction takes place and there's a, you know, there's an amount of money associated with that. But we've seen time and time again, as Joel mentioned, um, just the willingness for private equity to continue to invest beyond the transaction, beyond that closing date um, in the further you know, operations of the company. And you got you really have to think about it from their standpoint. Their entire purpose is to take money that has been entrusted to them and, you know, get an extreme return from that. Um, so obviously they can do that through that initial investment. But if if something's turning out well, if operations are going well, if a, if an owner um, continues to have um, you know good ideas and and good insight into additional avenues that can be gone down, um, private equity is going to sign up for that as well, um, and they're absolutely going to to reach into the checkbook 
and and write those checks for, you know, whether it's additional expansion into geographies, whether it's opening up more service lines or, you know, whatever it, it looks like. Um, we've just seen time and time again, example after example of, of private equity groups, um, you know, being willing to keep coming to the table uh, with those additional funds, um, you know, for, for those additional opportunities. You mentioned the second bite of the apple, and that's that's very much an, an industry, um, you know, kind of term may not mean, uh, you know, a lot to some people. But essentially what that means, let's say that you that you sell a majority of your company, you sell 60 percent of the company and you're asked to in some form hold the, um, you know, the remainder. So that remaining 40 percent, a lot of times we see, you know, at the end of the window, that five to seven year period that we mentioned private equity is going to sell that portfolio off to another group, another set of investors. And because, you know, our client owns, in this case, 40% of that company still, a lot of times that second bite, as it's called, second bite of the apple ends up being a larger payout, a larger payday than the initial, um, you know, sell that they did of the 60%. Um, not guaranteed, doesn't happen every time, but we've seen it happen multiple times. Um, and it's something that that definitely needs to be taken into account when a seller, uh, when our clients are thinking about, you know, going through this process. Yes, I'm going to get money on day one, but if I feel good about the group that's coming in and making the investment, maybe I want to roll, you know, some some of my equity back in so that I can have the opportunity to capitalize again on that investment. And hopefully the end of the road, like you mentioned, is, you know, stellar, so much more than they expected because they've been able to put some in their pocket. They've been able to use someone else's capital for growth and expansion and then benefit off of that in the long run. Um, Joel, you know, as we close out today, who is a, a good fit for private equity, this type of investment? And why is representation critical? Because we know that uh, groups are out there having conversations all the time. And so, you know, what do they need to be on guard about or what is it that they need to make sure that they've got alongside them as a group like us that can represent them well so that they're, for lack of a better phrase, not taken advantage of? Right. So as far as who is this good for, um, I don't want to answer with a negative answer, but I'm, I'm, I'm basically going to start with who is it not good for. Um, if, if a business owner is essentially done if they're just ready for retirement they they want to sell their company and they're willing to give a 30 or 60 day consulting agreement and then they're they're out they want to travel they want to totally um exit the company that may not be the best situation for private equity um especially if that business owner has been sort of the driving force behind the company Private equity loves continuity. As Brandon mentioned, they love to have as little risk in the transaction as possible. So to have the owner, founder exit day one, that creates an additional risk. So if, if that's your scenario, if you just need out right now, private equity may not be the best fit. A couple of scenarios come to mind where private equity could potentially be the ideal fit. And that is if retirement is on the horizon, but you have a few years that you're willing to, to work and to help transition the company. I think, again, Brandon mentioned that five to seven year time frame. If, if you see retirement five, seven, 10 years on the horizon, and you know that you're going to need to sell the company, 
that that window may be the right time to sell 60 or 70 or 80 percent of the company so that you have already secured your financial future. You've taken most of your investment out of the company. Um, you're no longer a personal guarantor on any of the notes that uh, the company borrows. Um, so you're personally financially secure, but you've got some years left to work and to help the, the private equity investor continue to drive the company forward so that that retirement horizon scenario is, is a, often a good fit for private equity. And also, as we witnessed in a very recent transaction that we completed, if, if you have grown your company to a point that you just are uncomfortable taking additional risk, but you know you can continue to grow it, private equity could be an exceptional fit for you. We recently worked with a business owner who was barely 50 years old and uh, really had a vision for the rapid growth of his company. He had done really well to that point, really saw some opportunities, but at the stage of life he was, he still had 15, 20 or more years to work, but just to continue to plow most of his personal capital back into this company represented some risk for him that personally he was uncomfortable with. And so we were able to identify an appropriate private equity partner for him through the process. And he is still CEO of that company. He is still in charge of that company. And just within the few months that he's partnered with a private equity group, he's already very rapidly executing on his growth plan uh, with capital that is not putting him personally at risk. So I would say sort of that accelerated growth phase and risk aversion phase may also create a, an ideal scenario for a private equity investor. So as far as surrounding yourself with a team, um, just like in any industry, there are really exceptional, really great private equity groups, and there are probably some that you need to be wary of. And part of having a team around you is recognizing just through subtle behaviors, by the way they talk, by the way they act, is this the right partner or not? Are these are these people serious or not? Do they have the money and are they going to continue to fund the company as they say that they are? So part of it is just helping to screen potential acquirers as they come to the table. But most of the groups, I mean, just overwhelmingly, the ones we deal with are, are quality groups. They're honest fair dealing people, but they're business people and they are professional deal makers. So that doesn't make them bad. That makes them smart. That makes them capable. So for example, uh, if let's say you own a manufacturing company, you may be an exceptional manufacturer. You may know your industry backwards and forwards. You may know the technology and the machinery just hands down, but you'll be working across the table from individuals who spend all day, every day executing transactions like this. So I think for that reason, primarily, it's critical to surround yourself with a positive team. There's nothing sinister about these groups. They're not looking to take advantage of, of acquirers. They're really, they're really looking to partner with, with the people that they approach. But at the same time, uh, just as a matter of prudence and diligence, they're looking to make the best deal they can make. And uh, we respect them for that and appreciate their efforts along those lines. But we are also there to represent our clients 
as professional deal makers on the side of the seller to kind of counteract that experience and that expertise that the private equity group will bring to the table to make sure to the fullest extent possible that our client gets a fair deal, gets the right deal, that it's structured properly, and that it works well for both sides. Great insight on that front. And guys, thank you so much for taking the time today to discuss this topic. Listeners, if you got any questions, feel free to reach out at CRIADV.com or email us at info at CRIADV.com. We're going to continue our discussion along transactions in the next episode. And this first one is we looked at private equity, certainly a, a lot of high level information, a lot of great examples. If you have any questions at all, reach out. I look forward to having you again on the next episode as we continue to look at transactions and how to help you prepare, position, and sell for maximum value. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sellability. If you want more CRI Capital Advisors insights or are interested in learning more about our firm, please visit our website at criadv.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. The views expressed on sellability are those of the presenter and moderator and do not necessarily reflect the views of Carr, Riggs, and Ingram. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal investment, tax, legal accounting advice, or as a solicitation or recommendation. This is not investment research. Consult with your CRI Capital Advisors advisor or other trusted professional should you have questions regarding your specific situation. CRI Capital Advisors is a registered broker-dealer with the Securities Exchange Commission and a member of FINRA and the SIPC. SIPC.